Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scoop Obsessed episode 210 is recorded live August 21st, 2014. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson. And joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Just great, Darren. Thanks. And Mac is, Mac may join us later. He's, he's off having some fun. Uh, another event and he said he may stop in so we'll keep an eye out for him if he does we'll bring him on wow it's uh it's, we've, we've been in this every other week for a while i think we're going to get on to some semi-regular uh, now, now next week is when you guys go up to sheboygan yes yeah now mac said he's going to bring his laptop so he was talking about trying to record we'll we'll see we can we can give it a shot uh maybe he and i can get together I will say the internet speed is not the fastest at the motel we stay at, but we might be able to get on. That'd be nice. I'm going to be jealous, all the diving you get to do. I think next year i got to put it on the calendar, and I said that for this year, but I've built up my vacation, so I'm back up the full vacation at the end of the year, so I'll have plenty for next year that I can take. It's nice to get that buffer built up a little bit, so that way when somebody calls and says there's a, something to dive on, I can just go. Well, last week was at the the youth fair so that's why we did not have a show i was chilling out i guess you call it chilling out i still got scars from the uh deep fryer at the corn dog booth and that wasn't as a customer they weren't throwing stuff i was i was back there cooking i also worked gate did you happen to make it out to the youth fair i did not get over to bering county i made Cass counties one day because the fire department was working the food booth mm-hmm. uh, but i didn't make it to bering county's youth fair yeah, it seemed the attendance seemed to be a little bit off. Uh, we had rain the first part of the week, and then it got a little bit nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't hear. I haven't heard official numbers yet, but it did seem to be a little bit light this year. Well, let's go ahead and get into the news. We have a couple weeks of news backed up. Uh, let's see, and I don't have any of these queued up because I didn't want to kill the internet connection. Thanks for everybody who showed up live in the chat room. We're finally getting that back up the way we used to. And the bonus of being in the chat room is you get the show notes as they happen. Cod fish numbers at the key fishery hit an all-time low. This one's out of Portland, Maine. They said that the level of codfish spawning is one of the most critical fisheries, oh, in the most critical fisheries in the Northeast, is at an all-time low. They said that's putting pressure on the fishery already dealing with declining catch and dramatic quota cuts. National Marine Fishery Service scientists say the amount of cod spawning in the Gulf of Maine is estimated to be 3 to 4% of its target level. That number declined from 13 to 18% three years ago. Low levels of reproduction in the fishery are holding repopulation back, according to scientists. They're also investigating what might be driving down the number of cod, but they believe temperature change, which is also linked to declining northern shrimp stock. And I'm going to say I, I go for the shrimp stock more than the temperature change. We have three to four percent of the target. Wow! Yeah, so it's like there's like there's none. Yeah, that's almost endangered species level. Yeah, they said uh, before the 2013 to 2014 fishing season, 
Federal regulators cut the Gulf of Maine's cod harvest quota by 77% to 1,550 metric tons and hope to spurring growth in the fishery. And they said that's still in effect. The Federal New England Fishery Management Council is working on new management measures for the species, including a potential new quota for 2015-16 season that begins May 1st. A recommendation could come in November. Commercial catches have plummeted, the main dropping more than 560 metric tons of cod in 2009 to less than 130 metric tons last year. Massachusetts, the most productive cod fishing state in the Northeast, fell from 6,810 metric tons in 2011 to 4,075 metric tons in 2012. The number of fish surviving the first year has also dipped since 2009. New England cod fishermen who typically also catch other ground fish stocks such as haddock and pollock are getting used to bad news. This according to Ben Martin, Martins, Executive Director of Maine's Coast Fishermen Association. However, he said some preliminary signs of the current fishing year are positive. Cod catches for the sale in the Portland Fish Exchange, which is Maine's largest fish, fish auction, are up 50% from last year. Maggie Raymond, executive director of the Associated Fish Marine and the owner of two Boston-based groundfish boats, said the availability of Icelandic and Alaskan cod could avert price spikes in market. However, deep quotas and poor spawning could make New England cod even more of a rarity. I'm sure there's going to be less New England cod available to the customer in this region, he said. Seems like a mixed message. Catches are up, spawning is down. Maybe the spawning season's going to be a little later than normal. It could be. I mean, I... I don't know if will will fish spawn in off season, and what do they? What is their method of uh, detection? Now I'd hope that they would have accurate ways of knowing, but are we sure they're they're catching them all? And then here we go in the more good news: giant new species of lethal jellyfish is discovered in Australian waters. Scientists discovered a new venomous creature in the waters off western Australia's coast. This, according to the Guardian, named after the scientist who caught the f- first known specimen, a long-armed Kisinga gigas, is an enormous member of the extremely venomous, oh my goodness, Lacardi did, you have to have some vowels in, a, in something, jellyfish family. The tiny box jellyfish normally measure about a cubic centimeter, less than one-tenth of a cubic inch, and are infamous for being able to cause uh, some sort of syndrome. <laughs> I can't even pronounce Sounds that. Sounds good. Yeah, That's yeah. Do it. You, you can get something from them which, if untreated, can lead to cardiac arrest and respiratory failure. The Guardian reports that there's some unusual, something unusual about the potentially dangerous gigas. Every photographed specimen is found lack the signature tentacles. Marine Stinger Advisory Services Director Lise Ann Gershwin believes it might be purely coincidental. I think it's probable that it does have tentacles, but a random chance the specimens we photographed and obtained didn't have them anymore. She says after posting, the gigas might be capable of shedding its extremities in self-defense. Uh, you know, great white sharks, killer jellyfish. I think I'll just keep diving in the uh, Great Lakes instead of the off Australia. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We got one more. This one's dolphins. The cuddly mammal. Uh, looks like it uh, tried to sink a swimmer. The dolphin is said to have lashed out a swimmer off the coast of County Cork by using its tail and pushing the man underwater. This was reported by Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. They said the animal acted aggressively. They said don't take their potentially permanent smile faces that they're friendly. These guys can be evil. So they've Hard got... to say if he's trying to play with them or attack them. Yeah, and they've got another article below this one where they're talking about killer attacks. 
So dolphins, jellyfish, what else is there? Yeah, let's check the news and see what else comes up. Next diver was going after crayfish. Crayfish? Aren't they like freshwater lobsters? I, I, that's what my grandfather used to call them. My uncle used to get mad because uh, he'd say my grandfather was eating all the bait. Yeah, I'm going to skip this article. It's mostly just something rem- right. re- reminiscent about talking about crayfish. Oh, God darn it. Nothing like pasting over the article you were trying to go through. Study reveals Antarctic mink, mink, M-I-N-K, mink whales. Mink whales. Mink whales. In a feeding frenzy under the ice, the article's discussing how the whales have developed a fishing strategy where they can use the ice to their advantage. They said, we're really surprised to actually see it, an incredible number of lunges at food, and how cleverly they're able to use their behavior to exploit the krill under the ice. It's amazing to see. The, they gauge an underwater feeding frenzy, filling their huge mouths up to 100 times an hour as they gorge on the prawn-like krill during the summer. They said, like other baleen whales, the, the mink lunge forward with their mouths open to collect food, taking in large volumes of water, which they then spill out of the, as they trap the fish inside. It's bloody hard work living down in Antarctica, getting your prey, and these guys, when they find their patch, they work incredibly hard exploiting where the prey is. It's according to Nick Gales. So animals that have been around for eons are now being studied by humans, and the humans are amazed at how the animals catch fish and live. But they've been around for eons. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's it's kind of like, duh. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So 100 times an hour, so that's a, what, about 40-minute cycle times? 100 times an hour? I mean, 40-second cycle 40 time. 40 seconds, yeah. Yeah, so you just, every 40 seconds, he's out grabbing another. See, I don't know. It's not, it sounded like they thought that one a minute was okay, but one every 40 seconds, ooh, that's crazy. Mm. Plus, it, you know, isn't it like, uh, you know, people when, you know, maybe they're not filtering them as detailed as they would if they were in a scarcer density. You know, kind of like you got choice of the really small guys or the big guys, and there's plenty of big guys there, so you're going to scarf them up. And then speaking of scarfing, we have this one with the anglerfish. I think this goes in the category of ouch. So just some interesting things about the anglerfish. It got its name from their method of earning a living. Uh, Long before human hunters ever appeared on the planet, the anglerfish were skilled fishers. They would sit very still and blend in the landscape whilst waving their fishing pole and flapping a lure at the end to attract unsuspecting animals close to their gigantic mouths. The strategy is known as sit-and-wait hunting. The fishing pole is referred to as wavy thing, it's more properly known as uh, illictum, is actually an evolutionary adaptation of the first three bony rays of the dorsal fin, which protrude strategically between the anglerfish eyes very close to the upper jaw. At the tip, there's a regular growth, properly known as esca, which moves freely in all directions and acts as a lure when it is waved around. A glowy, glowy bacteria that colonize some anglerfish Esca are some symbiotic marine bacteria that metabolize certain chemicals to create their own light, uh, which is bioluminescence. The uh, ick anglerfish, which lives in the deepest, darkest regions of the world's ocean, rely on bioluminescent bacteria symbionts for their very survival. Uh, now, here, here's the part that gets a little bit odd. Uh, some anglerfish, particularly the in the bathbenetic family of sea devils, have evolved an unusual method of reproduction. Females attain full sexual maturity only after the male of the species finds and attaches to the female body by biting her skin. The male's body fuses to the females, becoming a parasite 
that obtains all its nutrients in the female's host circulatory system. The male body transforms itself over time into just a pair of genitals. It is thought that this evolutionary reason, this method of reproduction arose due to the rarity of individual encounters in the deep sea by attaching the female's bodies. Both fish are guaranteed to mate when they're ready to spawn. So it must be where the, it originated that she keeps them in the purse. Uh, no comment. Navy divers have confirmed the identity of a shipwreck. The vessel in Southeast Asia is a World War II heavy cruiser, the Houston, a ship sunk by the Japanese that serves as a final resting place for about 700 sailors and Marines. The Houston nicknamed the Galloping Ghost of the Java Coast sank in Java Sea during the Battle of Sunda Strait in February 28, 1942. It carried 1,068 crewmen, but only 291 sailors and Marines survived both the attack and the subsequent imprisonment by the enemy. The survival of the men came as a shocking, though welcome surprise in August 1945. A month, the, the month of war in Asia ended with the surrender of the Japanese, a wire story published in the Los Angeles Times. Under the headline, men of the USS Houston came back from the dead. A military official said five men had escaped from the prisoner war camp in Thailand and confirmed there were about 300 other survivors. By then, 42 had passed away since all aboard the cruiser had been presumed dead. In recent months, Navy archaeologists worked with an Indonesian Navy diver to survey the wreck over the course of 19 underwater searches. Oop, let's go ahead and get, uh, that's Mac coming in. You there, Mac? Yes, I am, sir. Ah, sounds good. Yeah, I've been to the river conservation meeting, went a little long today. A lot of conservating. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. A lot of bending of the elbow? Actually not. I had to get the new key cards tonight because I replaced the uh, the gate to get in. It just went a little extra long tonight. So where are you at in your new stuff? We're on the USS Houston. Yeah, Houston. All the way down already? In recent months, Navy archaeologists worked with the Indonesian Navy to survey the wreck over the course of 19 underwater searches. They confirmed that the recorded data is consistent with identification of the former Houston. Documented evidence shows the gravesite was disturbed, noting the hull rivets and metal plates were removed from the ship. Both U.S. and Indonesian officials are working to coordinate protection of the historic site, which is a popular recreation dive location. They're also reporting that the site has active seepage of oil from the hull. The Navy is estimating that 17,000 sunken ships and aircraft rest in the ocean floor, and I have a feeling that's a conservative number. Okay, so it went down in 1942, so it's been 72 years, and it's still leaking oil. That's what they're saying. How deep? Well, it says it's a popular recreational dive site. That's why I was curious how deep that is. Yeah, doesn't say. No, so it's almost like they don't want you to know about it, but it's popular. <laughs> yeah. Somebody knows about it. Well, people are diving out. They probably didn't necessarily have a name tied to it. Yeah. yeah All rivets room. and a metal plate were removed from the ship. Somebody was gaining access. Yeah. Yeah, somebody needed some metal, and it kind of came in handy. Cause that's, a, that's a battleship. That's not exactly a... No, it's a that's a cruiser. That's a oh, cruiser, it's a cruiser, which is just smaller than a battleship. Yeah. Oh, okay. That cruiser, not quite as thick as steel. And if you look at the aft deck, you'll also see the seaplane launches. Mm-hmm. And you don't have aft cameras. Biplane, seaplanes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice photo. And then we, this one's kind of a follow-up. I think we covered this one before. Traces of a 9,000-year-old lost settlement have been discovered in Lake Huron. 
Underwater archaeologists have another exciting opportunity to search for an ancient society no one else suspected existed. Start with U.S. radar suddenly detecting an odd structure in the bottom of Lake Huron. First piece of the puzzle led to a 9,000-year-old discovery. O'Shea, professor of anthropology at the University of Michigan, noticed a uh, peculiar and and thought a leap of innovative thinking concluded the structure was perfect for caribou hunting quarters. Uh, they reported that underwater archaeologists have seemingly found it was once a dry land corridor connecting northeast Michigan with southern Ontario. They've dubbed the feature Drop 45 Drive Lane. It says it's the most complex hunting structure found beneath the Great Lakes to date. They're comprised of two parallel lines of stone that lead to a cul-de-sac lined with natural cobble. They're finding, if their findings are correct, it would make the hunting complex twice as old as Stonehenge. Three circular, yeah, yeah. Three circular hunting blinds are built inside the stone lines with additional alignments that are most likely used to corral caribou. The structures around Drop Forty Five, in addition to the presence of chipped debris from appearing stone tools, provide unambiguous evidence that the intention of the hunting was, uh, according to Doctor Lisa Sonberg, Sonnenberg. A geoarchaeologist, the University of Michigan, sediment at the bottom of Lake Huron shows several signs that point to the existence of submerged hunting complex. They're now trying to establish a direct link between this shadowy periods of prehistory. They said that various uh, archaeological, archaeological evidence from various locations suggest people had been living in North America for at least 13,000 years when an Ice Age population known as Clovis culture was widespread across the continent. At some point, that population trans transitioned into diverse groups of hunter-gatherers that are ancestors of present-day Native Americans. During this time, the Great Lakes were emerging from under receding glaciers and rebounding bedrock caused Lake Huron water levels to drop 100 meters below where it sits today. This exposed a 200-kilometer-long Alpina Amberley Ridge, which stretches eastward from Michigan side of the lake to Point Clark near Kincardine, Ontario. We don't know what is hidden beneath the waters of Lake Huron, but there are methods scientists can use to learn more about this interesting discovery. Using an underwater excavation technique known as airlifting, archaeologists have systematically vacuumed small sections of the lake bottom to gather what may have been deposited there. Ooh, what do you? How, how hard is that to get that permit? Yeah. The sediment scientists pulled up screen and carefully examined the evidence for what may have <coughs> once lived in the ridge. So far, the team says they have found this year fits with a caribou hunting scenario, but the real hunt is just beginning, could eventually lead across the lake. It's a huge area, so there's much more. Ideally, I'd like to get back and look at the Canadian side and fill the gap on that end. So what they're trying to say is that there's a, an area that's about the same depth. I mean, you'd have to, it, you know, even 200 feet, that's they say that, 100 meters below where it sits today. So that would be about 300 feet down. So uh, water... I was going to say, you figure the maximum depth of Lake Huron is 750 feet. The average depth is 195 feet. So you knock out 300 feet of that, and uh, Lake Huron is really going to shrink. Yeah. Well, there, there was some thought that after the Ice Age, there was a, a natural dam up by the Straits. So Lake Michigan and Superior would have been much deeper than Lake Huron, and that eventually the erosion opened up and water from Lake Huron and Superior ran into Huron, but I guess it probably depends on who you ask. Well, like you said, that's so close to the Ice Age. You're talking maybe three, 4,000 years from when the glacier was there. Well, they've it shown goes them. to show you when the continents were all together, people were everywhere. Yeah, 
Well, that's why I'm always amazed where they they they're, they're analyze something and they make this determination that, oh, well, these people had to be here and they'd be there for a thousand years and what's really a four day hike. They somehow imagine that in the course of two thousand years they never would have gone that distance. Well, so by I, the same token, if you had people there nine thousand years ago, you certainly had them in New Mexico. Yeah, where it's warmer. You had more vegetation back then, and it wasn't covered in ice. Yeah, my, I my that just shows, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say that just shows you the effect of erosion on surface structures, whereas if it is underwater or buried, so it's not in, to the environment of wind and rain and erosion from you know wind. Like I mean, that's why you probably don't have those out west. Surface erosion by the wind and rain. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that there's, well, like you look in Arizona and some of the stuff that was uh, protected in the, uh, I don't know what you call them, not quite caves, but the, the canyons. You can see those from a thousand or so years, but other areas, you know, where stuff's how out. Old, how old are the cliff dwellers? Oh, I was going to say there was some that they were thinking six to 800 years old. Oh, I thought they were much older than that. Uh, it's been, it's gosh, it's been 30-some years since I was out that way. So, uh, and we could find out. I'm trying to remember what, the, what they were called. Let's see, this Arizona cliff dwellings. The Great Book of Everything. Wikipedia? Yeah. If you believe them. And there we go. The Wikipedia Cliff Dwellings. Well, How long does it say that? Well, the problem is it, it took me to not to where I was thinking I was going. Well, I just found one of a 9,000 B.C. settlement called the Jericho Settlement in a cave in Oxia, Mexico. So... If you got them 9,000 years in the lake, you got 9,000 years there in Mexico, Arizona area. Yeah, well, there's just an article today about uh, in the Yucatan Peninsula where they had uh, some more Aztec finds. You know, and they said they, they just discovered them, but then when you read a little bit more details, there was uh, some early discoverers who had documented and found them, but they didn't say where they were at specifically, probably to go back and do more research and then never had a chance. Montezuma's Castle National Monuments. I think that's one of them. Yeah, that's the ones that I that I remembered. Uh, of course, now I'm on the government website, which is all written for a four-year-old. What about my speed? So they said the Montezuma's Castle National Monument quickly became a destination for America's first car-bound tourists. In 1933, Castle A, a 45 by 50 room Pablo Ruin, was evacuated. Un- uh, excavated not evacuated everybody out uncovering a wealth of artifacts and greatly enhanced understanding of the Sangoa people who inhabited this oasis along beaver creek for over 400 years so they're saying that was about they were there for 400 years and it's been 600 years since so about a thousand well i'm looking at this one item here it says humans may have lived in the western hemisphere more than fifty thousand years ago Blah, blah, blah. And then it talks about the land bridge from Asia to North America used by migrating hunters between 40,000 and 8,000 B.C. So we've been here a long time, people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because it said caves of the Clovis people in New Mexico were hunting mammoths in 11,000 B.C. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I think we've been I, – I wouldn't be surprised if they find even older. Yeah. And then also when they age some of these things, they say, oh, well, it's only 600 or 700. If there was a group of people who lived there 20,000 years ago and they built these buildings, 
and then you come across them a thousand years after that, would you not go and say, hey, I don't need to build something. I can move in. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they do the carbon dating and they find your poop that they're testing, uh, you know, they could get a, a wrong age. As they usually do. Yeah, I was uh, just was earlier today. I think I was reading a bunch on carbon dating and everybody fighting over it. The oh, it's I know what it was. It was the Neanderthals in the humans. They're trying to figure that out, and they said that uh, you know some of the carbon dating stuff wasn't quite up to snuff. There's a few different ways of doing it, but well, let, let's take a look. Here's one that's a, a photo of the week. I, I categorized it: the Radisson Blue Hotel. It's an 82 foot aquadome, and this is in Berlin. 82, the aquarium reaches 82 feet high and sits at the heart of the hotel's lobby atrium. Unfortunately, guests can't go for a dive, but you can enjoy a thrilling ride up the transparent glass elevator built into its core. So you're going up an elevator in the middle of the aquarium? That'd be cool. I do see a diver in there, though. Well, somebody's got to come in and clean it. I don't know. There's a picture go down a couple. Mm-hmm. See him around. There's a big school of fish to his right. I'm clicking... Was that the one where he's uh, the people in the elevator looking out at him? No, it's uh, oh, instead of looking at the little pictures, I kept going down the page. Okay. And just oh, I got I got to click on the read more. I didn't even do that. Oh. Yeah. You got a couple of fish in there to feed, don't they? Fifteen yeah. of fish, fifty-six species. Yeah, you know they're gonna have divers in there to clean glass. Rooms in the hotel only run one hundred eighty euros per night. Hotel boasts 427 suites with fantastic views of a tropical underwater world. I wonder what the maintenance on that sucker is. Well, you'll find out if in five years they take it out. <laughs> that was too much. Do they just need to have a valve? You got the, the bar right below. You could have like fish dropped right onto the pan. And then I put this next one in the category of cool scuba gear, a tractor beam. I just like the sound of that. It does. It just sounded cool. Tractor beam, oh, underwater tractor. Uh, the physicists, physicists create a water tractor beam. The Australian National University has created a tractor beam made of water. They're thinking that the technique could be used to confine oil spills, manipulate floating objects, and it can also explain rips at the beach. The group, led by Professor Michael Schatz, discovered that they control water flow patterns of simple wave generators enable them to move a floating object around at will to figure out a way to create waves that forces the floating object to move against the direction of the wave. New technique gives scientists a way of controlling things that drift in the water in a way they never had before, resembling a sci-fi tractor beam. They said it is one of the great unresolved problems, yet anyone in the bathtub can reproduce it. We have really surprised no one had discovered it before. So some kid in a bathtub with a plunger has probably replicated this at minimal cost compared to what they've spent. Yeah. The team experimented with different shaped plungers. Okay, I can see some kids. <laughs> of course, the mother goes in there and says, what are you doing with that toilet plunger in the bathtub? I'm making a tractor beam. Ah, I can already hear the words, yeah, what you're doing is making a mess. Get out of the tub. <laughs> Boy, it's almost like you were there. Probably been there. <laughs> and then the video of the week, a grouper swallows a shark. And once you watch the video, it's exactly what he does. In the video, they show fishermen have a shark on a line just as they get ready to pull it out of the water. And this is not a little tiny guy. And that grouper just slurps them up. So I think the rule of the water is anything that fits in your mouth is fair game. You know, that means you could actually fit in his mouth. 
Yeah, groupers, they have no problem. Well, the thing is, if you got eaten by a grouper, how would anybody know? I would hope you'd have a little room to use your knife, the one by your top of your BC vest, and start whipping around inside his gut. Maybe he'd let you go. Well, I would hope so, but I don't think there's a guarantee. I wonder how long you could breathe inside of him. <laughs> like Jonah and the whale. Well, I'm just wondering if you just started purging your octopus. Oh, yeah. Blow up. I think probably want to burp you out. You'd think so. That's when a free flow is a good thing. That's why I like where I dive. There's nothing that big. Come to the Great Lakes, Lake Michigan. But the biggest we got oh, is a catfish or a sturgeon, I guess. Sturgeon are big. Yeah. I, I've never heard of a sturgeon eating a person. No, I've bumped into them before, but never aggressively, more by accident. Yeah, sturgeon seemed like they'd be big enough to... Well, maybe when you're out there in the weeds, they're in the river, in Niles again, you'll run into one out there like I did. It was in Niles? Oh, yeah, that's where that was. Huh. I scared him as much as he scared me, and we both went different directions. And the nice thing about having a wetsuit is you don't have to change your pants. <laughs> no, you, you don't. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Let's see. Now, I did not get a chance to do any diving since we were last on the air, I don't believe. Or did I? God, my, my memory's getting so bad. But I know for a fact, Mac, that you've gotten out many times. I've been trying to keep hydrated. It's been a busy week. I've been doing a little bit of everything. Yeah, I'd almost say you were getting almost weekly, if not daily dives. I was trying for every other day anyway, but yeah, we, we've got out just this week. We got out Monday and did uh, the one bridge up down by the French Paper Dam, and we did uh, Main Street Bridge yesterday, and today was meeting days in the morning and then the conservation meeting uh, tonight. We got out there and busted a bunch of caps this afternoon, and tomorrow we've got Curly, I think it's Curly Bay, or Curly Lake. We're going out there to do a maybe search and recovery job. And then don't forget, we got the uh, Club Steak Fry on Saturday, and we're going to do a drift dive from up by the Paper Dam down to Merrimont, nope, down to the um, kayaks launch behind the theater where we're having a picnic. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing that. And I believe, Jim, you got some schedule for the Havana on Sunday, correct? Yes. We've got a couple of people who want to go, still have room for a little more. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a busy week. I even got to do a little bit of flying. I went down to uh, Rantoul, where they usually have the uh, World Freeball Convention, or they used to, last time in 2006. So I flew down there for reminiscing periods, went to the museum down there. Not nearly as much fun as it was in the old days. So any good discoveries when you were diving this? You know, what's, what's the best find? Jeez. Uh, I was very pleased. Uh, living out under that glass bridge, I found a nice hutchie of all things. I mean, people say, there you go, found another damn hutchie. Uh, but it's got a lion on the front, and it's, it's embossed all the way around. Huh. So I will be bringing that for show and tell at the next meeting, because you saw the bottle that uh, we found on Tuesday. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice one. That was uh, we couldn't see any mold marks on it. A brown right. bottle, and then it had a medallion kind of right where it it, it narrows, and that was a corker, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, that was a corker, and that was melted into it. Uh, I did find a shard that I did bring up uh, Wednesday, and it's on the opposite side where we've been diving. It was green glass, 
thick with teardrops on it. When you rotated it over, the bottom looked like the um, a wine bottle in the bottom, mm-hmm. but it still had the pommel strike in it. Ooh. Mm. Oh, Ooh. yeah. That means we need to go back on the opposite side. Now, it's a little bit of a problem there because the current was starting to whip up, and you got trees in that water like crazy. I, mean, I got pronged a couple of times and hit my mask once. It sort of got me. But uh, you got to be really slow, and you kick it up. But I'm really curious to find out what else is over there because that was that is way pre-1800 bottle. Right. So that means that this could have been something that moved and got buried and now is just recently surfaced. Well, right, you know, when I found the Hutchie, not two feet from it is a, is a, uh, another clay uh, jug. It's, it's upside down. It's trapped by a piece of iron and part of a tree. So I'm digging it out, and there's probably seven inches of it exposed <clears throat> that I had to go down to the gravel. But the top has got where a rock hit it in the, top, in the bottom and made a single hole in it. So I didn't bother going ahead and digging it all out. But that is where the hutch was right by. Hmm. And I'm looking at the hutchie now, and it says, uh, trademark, registered, this bottle is never sold. That's on one side with the lion. And on the back, it's uh, I. Levingston, 346 West 12th Street, Chicago. And it's got the IL marks on the bottom. Still got the uh, plug in it. And it cleaned up pretty decent, which means we got to go back out there and look some more. Yeah. Yeah. That was by the bridge or south of the bridge? I was under the bridge. Uh, the current there was a little heavy, and it increased over the over the day when we had the rain. And visibility is about two feet, so you sort of had to be careful. I wouldn't take any newbies out there, though. Mm-hmm. And then we all did our little pre-job or pre-dive briefing, like when and if you get snagged, basically when you get snagged, don't let it freak you out as long as you got your mask and your regulator. Take off your gear. Hook your line to your gear. Keep your mouth, you know, keep the regulator in your mouth. Move away from it. Come up the line so you're free and let the other guys go down and get your gear because that's what's going to snag. You don't necessarily snag. It's your gear that's caught up. Yeah. <clears throat> so just be prepared to abandon your gear. And I lost another freaking weight bag. In that area? Uh, no, I lost that on the way back because we were dragging our butts or our bellies on the, on the sands. Uh, when you first went in, it's really shallow, maybe knee deep. The second bridge piling starts getting deeper, and it drops into about a 22-foot hole. And then the current's not bad on the bottom. It's sandy. I took pictures of the Monday's Tuesday dives, and that day I just specialized in bicycles. So I got five pictures of five different bicycles. And then on Wednesday's dive, I concentrated on how many different shopping carts. Mm. And those guys, you got to be careful to because that can snag your butt pretty good because it snags everything else. Yeah, but they're a good place to look for bottles and other things. Yeah, but what we did not find, and surprised us, we didn't find any anchors this time. Uh, found some knives, uh, found car radios that didn't work. Duh. <laughs> Obviously, the obligatory golf balls. I mean, there were so many. We, Larry and them just didn't pick anything up. I had to bring back a couple. And we found lobster claws. Now, I'm sure they're crayfish. The one I found was big as your thumb, okay? And it was red. Ken came up and had one three times that big. Three now, times that big? Oh, yeah. That's, That's a lobster. <laughs> it looks like a, yeah. But the other one was obviously a crayfish. Right. But they were red. Now, that's a little weird. Now, could it just be somebody eating lobster in the bank and threw them in? But big as your thumb is not that big. I mean, because. Oh, no, that one wouldn't have been. Yeah. If you're going to eat lobster, man, you're going to eat every little bit you can. Yeah, plus you'd have break marks. I mean, you're not throwing in full claws. Yep. 
I love that river, though. So, Jim, you get out and do any diving? No, I have not. I'm hoping to make up for it this weekend. I've been running around working on boats and trying to make a little money fixing some boats up. So now they're done. One's done. The other one i got to wait for cooler weather and less humidity to do some gluing on the got a leak and a pontoon on an inflatable i got to fix. But then, but I'm planning to get out on Sunday and then I'll be gearing up and getting ready to go north. Now, I know Bob is taking his boat. You're going to take your boat also? Yeah, I'm going to take my, my uh, take the get wet and the inflatable. Okay, because uh, Larry's taking his up which is good. I mean, we can, we'll have boats and trail. But I know uh, that Larry wants to get over to the flats. Yeah. Because he plans on going over there and, and diving off the boat in the flats. Me, you yeah. know me, I like the river. But I yep. certainly want to get on the, back on the uh, Cedarville. Now, did we ever find out why that other guy got killed last, last week up there? We know the one drowned on the Cedarville. And we heard about that one, right? Right. Yeah. The one I on the Cedarville? Don't Say again? The one on the Cedarville or the other one? On the Cedarville. What, you heard the story on that, right? No, I didn't no. hear the story on yeah, the Cedarville. Still so if, it, and people it, who don't, people who are following around don't know what's going on, is we've had a lot of co- close calls and fatalities in Lake, the Lake Great Lakes, which is unusual. I mean, we'll have a few, but you know, it seems to be stacked up. And in the uh, last two weeks, we've had two right within, you know, probably a quarter mile. Yeah, yeah. And then, what, two weeks ago, we had the one up there on the tug that you guys drove earlier in the year. And I still can't get any feedback on... You know, how is he, did he live or not? Yeah, the one in Holland. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen any verification, but I'm guessing he lived because it just hasn't come back. I'll have to yeah. bug somebody because I, uh, we've got some contacts who would know. Well, I was down and getting some air today and I was talking uh, to the guys in the shop and it, it, it sounded like, from what they understand, the guy when he bailed and went down on the Cedarville thought he was breathing on his main tank, but he was breathing on his bailout. Oh, man. He had the bailout attached to the rear tank with the, you know how you have those spikes that fit on your tank to put your bailout? I have a setup like that, but I go to sling bottle now. But it sounds like he was breathing on that, got down, ran out of air. But when he went for his bailout, he picked up his bailout again that he had just exhausted the air and didn't have any air. So I don't understand that. You know, you got your main tank with an 80 cubic foot on your back. Why didn't he go for his main? Well, if you're in your mind, if you had thought you had already emptied your main, and then, you, you know, if you breathed it down to nothing, which shows he wasn't watching his regulator. Absolutely. Because if you're breathing off, uh, I'm assuming that the, the other tank was, it wasn't an 80, it was like a 40 or something. Yeah. He should, you know, if, you're, if you got back gas, and then, you know, he, he, had, he must have gone through it at a rate that was a lot quicker than he expected, just didn't check. He just and, didn't check his gauges. Because yeah. if you're down there breathing and your gauge hasn't moved, um, maybe that should be a clue. Oh, I see what you're saying. If he's well, got a, if his gauge is showing, if the gauge he's looking at shows his back gas. Uh, I see. Well, you, you got to wonder if he spit the regulator out. You know, when he couldn't get air, he dumped the regulator out and then grabbed around for his pony regulator and put it back in. Yeah. You know, where if he had kept the regulator in his mouth, when he grabbed for the pony regulator and pulled it, he realized he was on his pony. Yeah, but and I don't un- not having a regulator in it. I'm I'm just you know it's possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't have a regulator in your mouth, you may not know which one you grab. How many guys don't dive with a necklace though? 
I don't know. There's probably. Now, and when you say necklace, you, you, you know, you, you mean that you've got your. But that's a second. You know, that's a, a second stage off the same primary. Right. I mean, you it, know, if, it, if your primary tank is empty, your second stage, you know, your octopus is empty. I took my octopus off because it bleeds too much. So I've only got two regs. Now I got my main, which I do have on a necklace, and I used a sling bottle for the bailout. And I think, and Jim, you use sling bottle too now, don't you? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, any sling. To go on the deeper wrecks like we're going to be doing, you can bet your buttons I'm going to have my bailout right under my right armpit, the left armpit. Yeah. Yeah. Left arm. My best regulator on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now that was. I was going to say, it's not like he, he just. I don't know what was in his mind and his equipment checked because just that three breaths on your main checking your gauge like we do, that mm-hmm. got it. And I, I, they had no feedback on the other guy who pat or died on the other wreck. Yeah, I, I saw an article this afternoon that said he was from Midland, a uh, 62-year-old male, um, and they think that uh, he uh, assented too quick, but they, they think he might have got caught in the wreck and something happened and then panicked and went for the surface yeah well i'm looking forward to some good diving we had some good stuff last year some good video and uh i think almost everybody's gonna be doing bailouts this year yeah uh i think uh rick has got his set up so i know that'll be three of us have it bob if he's doing his uh rebreather he's got everything he needs on that it's gonna be good up there yeah, you got a good group I'm looking going forward on to it. i look forward to that this trip every year i know it's different than what we used to do yeah. And some of the guys are don't want to do it because it's not what we used to be, but I enjoy it a lot. I mean, diving the flats was nice for a day or two, but, you know, hey, we could still spend a day or two diving the flats and three or four days diving the wrecks or a day diving the river or, you know, there's so much to do up there. Well, it's like you can't do it in a weekend. I'm not taking my kayak this year, but go to Duncan Bay. You got the two shallow wrecks for, for people who are kayaking. You can video that from the surface, like um, Scrupa did a couple of years ago. Remember, it was so clear. He would yeah. video us from the surface of his kayak. Yeah. Check over to the to the bay and do our grubbing uh, where the one wreck was, mm-hmm. and we're still finding stuff there. Yep. And um, I the so I mean, if, if the weather's bad, we still got good diving. Sure. No matter where the wind's from, I mean, even if it's whipped up terrible straight out of the north, you hit the river. Yep. And then if you have to, you go inland and hit a couple of the ponds there, uh, the one area place that they had the um, bottled out, bottled up. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be my backup if everything else goes to hell. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you guys get your Dan magazine this month? Yeah, it just came today. Did you read the article on Nitrox? Not yet. I just picked it up out of the mailbox today. It's very good. A lot of the results that we have, you know how we go down and we say we have much better, we feel better when we come up. Yeah. And we seem to have more visual acuity when we're down there using nitrox. Mm-hmm. They say that's psychosomatic. But if it works for you, good. I, I found that quite interesting. The second well, thing that's really interesting okay. was they got into the dynamics of your heart, that when you immerse yourself in the water in your, in your suit, it changes the dynamics of your heart, that all the blood that when you're standing pools in your legs, you have now pressed back up into your chest cavity. And what that does is make the heart beat harder. You're actually doing aerobics for your heart when you do that. And the deeper you go, the more um, cardiac exercise you're getting. Oh. So the more you dive, the more it helps you. But as you get older, if you're not diving a lot, 
then it's not such a good thing to do. So that's why the lobster season in, in Florida kills so many people, is that you're giving yourself a stress test every time you go deep. Yeah, but they said the more you dive, the better it is for you. <laughs> so you guys need to get your butts in the water more. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing. I'll have to find that article so we can reference it. You, you hate to, to make promises or guarantees, but that's a, that's good research because— it, it, it's quite interesting. I'm just going to quote that in the uh, newsletter for the next uh, club meeting. At least if you haven't read it, I'll give you the references where to go look. But that article by itself is very, very good. Worth looking at. Because I know they've been, there's been a movement trying to get you know uh, scuba diving as an exercise. But I, I find it very calming. Well, so they went to the aspect that if you're, whether you're older or not, it's your comfort level and your experience, meaning... You know, you get into dark, cold water, it's totally different than warm, clear water. The, the stress, meaning mental, makes a big difference on your on how your heart's working. So if you're stressed you're, out and nervous and... Right, and if you're not in the best shape, and then you hop into that kind of environment, you're really stressing yourself out. Yeah. Especially if you haven't been on like a, a deep wreck dive or something like this, mm-hmm. you're, you're setting yourself up. Yeah, you always have to work your way into it. To me, if you haven't dove in... You know, if you haven't been deep in two or three months, you need to work your way back down to it. Yeah. Look at Bob. Every year we start the shallow wrecks. You start with the Havana. Then you work your way up to the uh, Rockaway at 70. Then you work up to the, uh, what, the Tug is, what, 100? Yep. Mm -hmm. Then you work your way up to 120 on the uh, Ironsides. Then you get up there and you go 160 there on the the wreck. Ann Arbor Arbor 5? Yeah, 165 on that. Yeah, you work your way up, and you just don't hop in there one time and say, I'm going to go to the bottom, which you will do. You may stay there, though. <laughs> you could become a permanent fixture. Yeah. And I think at the club, it was great. Almost every, no, well, I think it was everybody had been diving in the last two weeks. Everybody. Yeah. Just about. There are lots of reports from people diving. Yeah. Well, now, if you don't know, you're not going to do it. I mean, it's as warm as it's going to get. It's going to start turning any time. So... Now, with all this diving, do we have any updates on the preserve? Is there anything new to add to it? Nothing new. We're still collecting memberships. And you do have some new ones? Yes. <laughs> oh, just don't forget to bring my card. Uh, I've got it in the car. Remind me, it's in the truck. Okay. You, anybody? Uh, by the way, anybody going to be diving nitrox? I, anytime I can. <laughs> Usually. Um, well, this first year, I'm not going up with nitrox in my tanks. I was thinking about taking uh, a couple with me that are empty and then get nitrox. So I got my air for the shallow and for the river. And then I have, uh, not nitrox, but regular for my shallow. And then go ahead and get nitrox on a couple of tanks. So I'm ready for the deeper ones. I know Sir Larry's taken uh, four, he's taken five with him right off the bat, but none of them are nitrox because Ken didn't mix any this year. Jim, I don't think you mixed any nitrox, did you? Yeah, I mixed my own. Oh, so you you have you I used partial pressure, I partial pressure blend my own whenever I fill my tanks. So are you taking nitrox with you, pre-blended? Uh, yeah. Are you doing thirty-six? Uh, probably thirty-two. Now, I still use it on the air table, but I think that it, you know, like to say, geezer gas. Yep. Uh, yeah. I use it use the, the air table. I just want that extra protection as I get a little older. Slightly. Hey, watch out. <laughs> Now, where was the last, uh, on the preserve, uh, what was the last dive shop we talked about? Uh, did we do Northern Michigan Dive Center yet, up in Sheboygan? I think we, yes, we did talk about them. So then the next one after that is American Dive Zone out of Grand Rapids. 
I believe they're up. So that is American Dive Zone out of Grand Rapids, 616-949-9577. The website is AmericanDiveZone.com. And they, I think we've done this one too. Aren't they the ones that had the beer? Oh. Is that that the ones? So let's take a look at the products. No, this is different. No. No, this one's different. Just the website looks like it was done by the same guy. Maybe that's it. Uh, So they got Monday through Friday and also Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Kentwood. Kentwood. Why does that sound? That sounds familiar. Kentwood, that's up in uh, Grand Rapids, didn't it? Yep, up in the Grand mm-hmm. Rapids area. What's, this, what's that shop we used to go to? Not used to go to, but the one that had the quarry. It's in northern uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, Moby's. Moby's. They're on the list for next week. Oh, are they? Okay. Yep. That's a nice That's a nice outfit and a nice location they have. So how much is the membership, Jim? Membership is $25, and it gets you, I think we're up to 30 fills now, if you take advantage of all of them. And that certainly pays for the cost of the membership. Yes, it does. Yeah, I have to. Not, have to. not that I'm mercenary and thought of that when I bought mine. No, not, not at all. all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And then it looks like we had quite a few people pop into the chat room. I wasn't paying attention. Rick Sinowick from Diver Sync stopped in. We had uh, St. Louis Sam and uh, Molenix 930. We're all in there for a while, along with some anonymous guests. So we're going to keep that going, and I, I still got to do some finding out about video. I was going to do it the last few weeks, but things have been crazy. I I need a vacation from my vacation for a vacation. That, I need that, to work on, on taking all the video I've taken and learning how to do snippets so I can put them on uh, the club site. Yeah. How was that and actually? Go ahead. Notice I updated that the other day. The club site? Let me look. Yep. I put in a couple more treasures, and then I put in uh, – different photos for some of the events. Since nobody else has taken pictures, I might as well take them and put them in there. Mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. I need to get an underwater camera. Uh, I think I've got my wife convinced into one. Uh, And the interesting thing is it's her idea for my daughter. Well, I cannot stress about how much I like the GoPros. Oh, I love my GoPro. And I mean, mean, the silver is fine. The black is good, but it's got more uh, computer ease to it than I have capabilities. So the silver, it still works. Love it. But now all I got to do is remember to turn it off before I put it in my pocket. Oh, yeah. Because it was a chew up the battery? Oh, yeah. It does that big time to have it on Wi-Fi. Even though I don't use Wi-Fi, it drains your battery. And I put it in my pocket the other day, and when I took it out, I had 1,100 pictures I took in my pocket. (laughs) 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 Automatic. And it filled that freaking disc up, and it's like, what the hell? So it's coming soon to a photo book near you is Max Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> After the first two shots, you, you might as well go through it. I, it, it just surprised me because I did not realize it was still on. Well, worst thing about that is you got to delete all of those too. Oh, yes. And you don't want to delete until you go through it to make sure there wasn't something. There so. could be one. Mm-hmm. One could have... Uh, the map to the ancient gold wreck. Let me tell you, we've been doing some good research the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're still, you know, we've, we've been looking for the Davy Crockett, right? Yeah. Okay. And we believe we found Crockett's Island, and we're, we're hoping that current cuts out a little bit so we can go out there and look for that one. And then the second one I'm trying to get more details on is the sunken barge slash riverboat with the iron stoves on it. Ooh, that'd be nice. Oh, yes. Uh, Magnet might pick that up, I think. 
So we're yeah. looking for those to right off the bat. Yeah, those would be cool. Yes. And some of those, I think you could get, even get uh, museum sponsorship. Oh, yeah. It, well, the David Crockett, the, the, the feature on that, I can't believe they would not have taken it off. I know they salvaged the boiler. It's a stern wheeler. And I know they salvaged the boiler because, you know, that's big money back in those days. Yeah, and it went on to another boat that probably sank. Right. But it wasn't necessarily called a bow spirit, but the figurine on the front of the boat was half horse, half alligator. And they had the steam line routed such that it blew smoke from their nostrils. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> that sucker is there. You know the museums want that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be a good conservation project, too. Cause... Yeah, that would be freaking awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, but here it is August already. That just leaves September to start dragging the river. Yeah, we're running out of time. And the river visibility, remember last year we were diving the river in June. Yeah, we you know, we we dove it all yeah. last all year. All summer long. Yeah. All summer. Yeah, I think I dove that almost as much as Lake Michigan. This year, Yeah, it hasn't been anywhere near as, as often. I haven't. I've not hit the river yet. Mac, do you ever sell your trailer full of goodies? Uh, no, I'm still waiting on... Uh, a call from the, the the vendor I met up there on the antiques show for Bluffs. Yeah. And uh, talk him into taking everything. And um, we went to a couple of rummage places uh, during the week when we were off after we dove and go out to eat and then we go to rummage places. Mm-hmm. The group where I had sold some guys some bottles last year, I went back and see what he was putting for prices. I sold them that whole box just because I was going to dump it. I gave it to him for 10 bucks. Okay. Mm-hmm. One bottle he had for fifteen dollars by itself. <laughs> uh, so, and I said, "How many bottles?" Well, I've sold a couple. Well, if he sold a couple, he got his money back already. Yeah. And the yeah. one he had on fifteen dollars was—I couldn't believe it. It's, it's an old Pepsi bottle, thin glass swirl. Hmm. Yeah, make him take everything. Yeah. And the two cokes were nineteen forty-one cokes, and it's like, uh, yeah, he got a good deal. Got a very good deal. Yeah, but they tend to be picky. I found the bottle guys. They yes. want something, no chips, no stains, no wear. Unless it's one of a kind, and then they'll take what they can get. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, I'm getting to that part now. I don't keep hardly anything anymore. I, I may bring it up, take some photos, and then I sort of dump it. Yeah. Well, you know, just make sure you throw it back for somebody else to get. I did. In fact, uh, Good. All, all the bottles from the other day, they went right back in the shallow part, first piling by the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> now, did uh, uh, yeah. the the chat room's asking how you guys mount your GoPros? I helmet mount mine when and I dive with it. I've I've got a helmet that I use, which helps uh, protect my head because I've almost been pounded by the uh, outboard a few times. So I just use a helmet mount, and sometimes I'll te- you know I, I shoot the video with the helmet mount, and I'll often take a second one with me and shoot stills or shoot video um, by hand with that one. But it's interesting with the helmet mount, how many times I go back and look at that and see something that I didn't notice when I was diving or forgot about. You know, might have saw it but forgot about it until I see it on the video and remember, oh, yeah. So it's great for a second set of eyes because it gives you a different perspective than what your eyes do. Yeah. They're they're asking, do you concerned with snagging the helmet on anything? No, not at all. It's it's a uh, you know like a water rescue helmet, just a and just has a chin strap and you know quick and easy to release the chin strap and it does float with the GoPro on it because the chin strap broke one day and came up and it was on the surface. 
and I'm out mine on a GoPro uh, on a ProTac uh, skydive helmet. It also has flotation in it because of the type of foam I use, not the normal junky stuff. I've got those para, para bags in mine that gives me a lot of G-force. So I've used that. And a lot, I just put mine on a lanyard. I have it in one of my pockets. I bring mine out and I just take single shots. And only thing I can say is if you're doing video, go slow. You mean don't, you want to give plenty of time to do a pan and a movement. You just don't. Ab yeah. Right. Absolutely. Go slow. If you're doing stills, do the multi burst of one to three or one to five, because one of those three or five, you'll get a good clear shot. Whereas at the other one, you'll have movement of the fish or whatever. So I do burst to five, and I usually get at least a decent shot out of one of those if the light's right. The other item is don't shoot down, shoot laterally or shoot up. And that's because of the light penetration. Just items I've learned the hard way. Plus the programs are free on the net <laughs> for editing. Cool. And I take mine with the kayak too. I love that. Then just mount it on your helmet, your ProTac or whatever you're using. And again, if you swing your head left and right, it's going to be a little weird. But if you do slow stuff, anticipating, it's cool to do it with your with kayaking, especially when you're shooting a little under the bridges when it's a little bit of current. Looks looks cool. Yeah, that's got to maybe that's what I'll try and convince my wife to get for my daughter's a GoPro. Tell her I can be it can shoot regular photos and it's waterproof. Yep. Yeah, and the new ones you're talking 1080p. And you're talking some good megapixels. So you got up, you know, you can, the only thing is I haven't really practiced with it is saving your photos raw, R-E-W, because mm -hmm. as soon as you take them and edit them with, with a lot of them, take a look at what you started with of X number of megabytes, and you halved it right off the bat. You took your editing capabilities away when you don't use raw. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what most of the, the pros are recommending that you can use raw. Yeah. Yeah, Mac, they're saying that you could mount it right on the kayak. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And that way, it actually is more stable because you're going to have a straight shot down the stern or wherever you mounted it. And it's seeing what you did from the water level, and it's actually more stable because you're the jittery one, not the, not the kayak. And I still need to go back out to Lake Michigan to look for that other dive gear. So if you're out there searching, Jim, and you see that bump on the bottom, and maybe you got the guy's dive gear. Now you have to give me a better idea where it was. Down there by the tunnels. Okay. 30 foot of water. You know what we're talking about there, Darren? No. We was on a recovery a couple of weeks ago. A young gentleman went out with his buddy on his kayak to do a kayak dive. They did the kayak dive, came up, put the gear in the kayak, got in the kayak, turned it over. Didn't have his gear secured very well. So his tank, PC, regulators, computer is on the bottom. Oh. And it's like, if you do that, inflate your BC on your kayak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would think so. He didn't. And the probably the worst thing is it's probably almost neutrally buoyant, so you get a current, it could be anywhere. And he said he was heavy and didn't have air in it. Okay. He, he said he was actually overweight. He had 30 pounds in it, and he was a small kid. So I said, didn't you have your air in it to bring it up? And he sort of hemmed and hawed about it, so it's like novice trick. Huh. So, I mean, had, had he been diving long? Or? No. Uh, he he had got 16 dives in the, Car in the Caribbean, and... One dive in a lake up here, and this appeared to be his second lake dive. In Lake Michigan? Yeah. Huh. In 30 foot on a kayak. So they were just going to the intakes? Is that what he was doing? Well, it doesn't sound like the intakes. The intakes are in 40 foot. Right. So he basically just wanted to get out there and, and do some diving, but 
I would have probably picked a different avenue. Well, did, did you ask him why he didn't join the uh, dive club? And Well, one, they're uh, right out of high school, just both graduated. They're both going to college, and they were using rental gear. Ooh, ouch. So they're, they're, oh, yeah, they're transit. Yeah, because you, you can't tell the rental place to go uh, that you, where you rented it from this go pick it up off the bottom. That's where it's at. Yeah, that's Wolf's. They, and what got me, though, he, he was a little back because he said, I would have thought they'd have had buyer protection so if you lose something. No, that's <laughs> no. What you buy. Yeah, it's, you, not yeah. the dive shop. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I see where you're talking about a rookie mistake. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can remember I was always worried about losing a dive belt, but lose everything. Yeah. And they and they rent computers, too. I didn't realize that. I only use my computer when we go up north for deep diving. Yeah. Where I got to worry about deco. I mean, I use mine all the time, but, you know, it's not my primary. I, I use it more for a dive timer than right. a dive planner. Yeah, but if I took mine, I mean, if it wasn't on my console, which you would tack to yourself, you're going to scratch the screen up really bad. When you're doing direct diving, you're you're not you're not mucking the bottom at all. So you're not going to scratch it up as bad. Oh, I see what you're talking about. That's why it, I, I, mine would look like crap if I took it where I go at, you know, in the sand and dragging through the muck. Hey, that's that's why I tuck mine under my arm, and so it's not dragging through the muck. I've been tethering mine through the inside of my BC, so it's protected now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. You got anything to plug before we go? Oh, let's see here. One thing is, if you guys out there aren't getting wet, shame on you. Oh. Water's fine. Jump in now or don't. Sell your gear cheap. Yeah. You got anything, Jim? Uh, No. Just tis the season. Yep. And our website is www.scubaobsessed.com. Also on Twitter, at ScubaObsessed. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash ScubaObsessed. And we'll post uh, news articles and other things to various sources that we have out there. Uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and drop us. If you have any feedback for the show, it's the show at ScubaObsessed. And that will get to one of us and we'll either answer the question or put it online. I know we got something coming up that you could, we might do. I was thinking about doing another water jump with scuba gear. Ooh, that'd be neat. Yeah, my my yeah. son was just asking me about that. He goes, does Mac ever jump out of a plane with scuba gear on? And I was trying to explain to him, well, it's possible. It's usually not that easy to do. No, but I was thinking about how I could rig my gear to do that with a bailout, a smaller one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it just sounds so interesting. I got a second rig now. I got no cypress in it. So I was thinking about going ahead and, and uh getting my reserve repacked and doing another water jump. It's been, God, 15, 20 years since I've done a water jump. Yeah, that sounds cool. So we have we have that to look forward to. Well, I think we, we've we carried on quite a bit. We're well over an hour by the time I get this all edited down. So it brings us to that time of the show. Um, Anticipation. Yep. So here we go. A customer at Dive Shop marveled at the owner's quick wit and intelligence says, tell me, Simon, what makes you so smart? He says, I won't share my secret with anyone, Simon replies, lowering his voice a bit so the other shoppers wouldn't hear. But since you're a good and faithful customer, I'll let you in. He says, fish heads. Eat enough of them and you'll be positively brilliant. And the customer asks, you sell them here? He goes, oh, yeah, I sell them. I sell them and I sell fish. He says, only $4 a piece for the fish heads. The customer buys three. A week later, he's back in the store complaining the fish heads were disgusting and he isn't any smarter. You didn't eat enough, says Simon. 
The customer goes home with 20, fi- 20 more fish heads. Two weeks later, he's back, and this time he's really angry. Hey, Simon, he complains, you're selling me fish heads for $4 a piece when I can buy the whole fish for $2. You're ripping me off. He says, you see, you're smarter already. <laughs> okay, I've heard worse. <laughs> yeah, I think we uh, can see that one. Yeah, I, I think we've had a version of that. Just yeah, a little changed up. So until next week, go out there and get wet <laughs> and stay safe. And don't bother to eat the fish heads. <laughs> Recording has been completed.